right, beautiful song. I love it. I love it. Great song. Good to uh, learn new songs. Good to be reminded that we're wonderfully made. And uh, I'm excited as we get started. Thank you again uh, for everyone who helped out with the Harvest Festival. What an awesome time. It's really a highlight uh, of our year in a lot of ways and a time when we all come together and work together and uh, serve and, of course, eat together. Uh, so that was that was awesome. That was a lot of fun. Thank you for everyone who brought their uh, food. And I still think the chili contest is rigged because Donald won again. But uh, that's another story. Healthy relationships. I will talk to him about that very healthily. Uh, I'm puzzled. I'm puzzled. Yes, we're going to get to that, too. Um, I just wanted to say something about the midweek service on uh, Wednesday night that, you know, he mentioned that we're going to be early. We're going to be at 630 in the fellowship hall and we're going to end right at 830. I know we've kind of had a few midweeks recently where we've gone a little late, uh, later than we're used to. So now we're going to be getting a little bit earlier, but this may be the last one that's a little bit longer. And uh, you'll see when you're there, you, it's not something you want to really rush as you're trying to tell a story about your family history. So you might even get into it. And uh, I think it's going to really be a helpful time, an encouraging time, a healing time, a time to look ahead, to look backwards, to have great memories. And hopefully the main idea is that we get to see God together. Yeah. It's not just that we're reading memories off of a board, but we're talking about it together and kind of sharing it personally. Because if we wanted to write a history, we could just get you to sign it and send it in, and we would have a book, but it's not, a church isn't on paper, the church is together. So that's why we get to tell it together, we get to talk about it together, and uh, that's where we're going to be able to learn how to go forward together too. So uh, I'm looking forward to that, it's my first time doing this, so I'm excited that Darren has uh, offered to uh, kind of host it for us, and because uh, we're supposed to not do it ourselves, so I'm looking forward to that. But anyways, we're... We're talking about emotionally healthy relationships, and so I'm going to give you a little bit of the history of where this came from and where we started doing this last year. But as I do that, just think about your own life. Think about your family. Think about your household. And just think about how God can transform your relationships. Think about how he already has, and think about where he wants you to go. Not necessarily where he wants your other household members to go, but where he wants you to go to be, uh, have a better relationship there. Think about your, your close friends, your close friendships, the people that you hang out with. You know, how does God want to change those relate? How are those going? You know, how connected are we? And sometimes in life we're more connected and other times we get a little disconnected from our close friends. And hopefully as we're talking, you're thinking about how can I connect? How can I get closer? How can I uh, be a better friend um, in those situations? Maybe you're thinking about coworkers or people at work and how you can work together better. Maybe you're thinking about issues or, or, or problems. I don't know. Maybe there's someone in your life that you don't get along with real well. Someone that you don't see eye to eye with, that you don't agree with on a lot of things. Someone maybe even would call your enemy. Jesus said to love our enemies, but... I wouldn't call them enemies, but just someone you don't get along with. I believe that God puts someone like that in all of our lives. Amen. 
not just to torment us, but to help us to be more like Jesus. David and Saul, he put Saul in David's life for seven years. There was like this turmoil and this this hatred and and love and respect and spears being thrown. And I mean, it it was crazy, but it was so David could be more like God. He could be more spiritual. And I think to even be grateful for some of those people that God has put into our lives uh, so that we can grow. So think about that. And, you know, even as we take communion in a little while to think about how, what are the, what do I want to pray? Who do I want to be reconciled with? Who do I want to be closer with? Who do I want to, to grow? How, how am I going to invest in these valuable relationships? Because God said that it's a, Loving him with all our heart, mind, and strength is the first primary, but then loving one another is right behind it. So we can't be good Christians and be bad people. We can't just believe about Jesus if we don't love and treat people the way that he wants us to treat them. And so there's not a disconnect in our love for God and our love for people. It should go together. And sometimes the person that you need to love the most and you need to repent in is yourself. Sometimes the way we talk to ourselves is terrible. We, we yell at ourselves. We call ourselves names. We, we, we bring up all the history of mistakes that we've made. And just think about that. How am I supposed to love somebody else if, I, if that's the way I love myself? And so maybe that's going to be more of an inward journey for you of finding forgiveness and finding grace and finding reconciliation with God so that I can have something to give to other people. And so whatever that is uh, in your own life, um, that's probably enough of an intro, but um, uh, we're, going to see, we're going to see things like this. All right, there we go. Where it, it talks about, these are maybe some of the new uh, ways of relationships or new um, tools that can help us. You know, it talks about on the bottom, you probably might not be able to see that, but it talks about appreciation. And just the idea of being grateful for one another. You know, to con- continue to focus on what my friends are doing good. How they're encouraging, what they're doing right to be grateful for where we're at in our lives. And the second one is this idea of being puzzled. And Darren made the joke about being puzzled. And the idea is to come into a situation that you want to be different without judgment. So it's like, I'm puzzled why you didn't clean up the sink last night. You know, rather than like, hey, you were lazy, you were this, you were selfish, you were on your phone, you did all this, you know... Hey, I'm puzzled. Tell me about this. I'm puzzled. It's more of a curious stance rather than attacking. Right? That doesn't go real well, right? Attacking and hoping you're going to get a good response. I'm puzzled why you didn't return my call last week. You know, I know we're close and we're friends. I'm just kind of puzzled by that. Rather than going into all the reasons why they didn't call and how you didn't like them anyway and how you're never going to call them again and... You know, I knew that that look meant something at church when they looked at me funny. And, you know, we can get into it's kind of maybe a calmer. It's a place to be calm. If you can't be puzzled, then you're not calm. 
and you probably shouldn't have the conversation uh, to start with. And then it, it, the next one is, I notice and I prefer, and it's kind of turning our complaints into requests. So like, I notice, uh, you're noticing something that you want to change, but then you're also trying to help maybe even suggest how it can be changed or how the person can meet your expectations or how you know they can uh, be different uh, rather than, than, again, maybe similar to attacking. And we, I think there's a lot of similar language for this. We've had a marriage retreat. We've had a couple marriage retreats that have kind of got us going in a good direction where we heard about appointments. When you want to talk to somebody, it's good to know if they're ready to talk. Right? You ever, you ever have those people? They want to talk to you right now, and no matter what you're doing, they're going to talk about it right now. And this is a really important thing. You've got to drop everything. You're like, what are the odds that you're going to get a good response? If the person is busy, or the person is annoyed, or someone else just yelled at the person, and they're not in a good place. So it's good to kind of prepare, hey, I want, I want this to go well. I want to give them the opportunity to tell me when they're ready to talk so that we can have the best chance of having everybody in a calm way. We've heard about you know, repeating back what people are saying to you so they understand what you're... You understand what they're saying and they understand that you understand and you're, you're talking the same language. And I, I speak, right? Where it's like, I feel this way. I think this way instead of assuming how they feel and assuming where they're coming from and... Speaking for someone else when you're looking for change doesn't really go too well, does it? Right? I don't want someone to speak for me. I don't know if you want someone to speak for you, but like giving them the chance to speak and explain and, and talk and just sharing new information, just sharing what's going on in our lives and, and then hopes and wishes. So you're gonna, we're gonna talk more about this. If you're reading the book, you're gonna get a lot of this, but hopefully you can just think about, man, how can I Treat people the way I want to be treated in relationships, in conflicts, in friendships, and just sharing what's going on. You know, because we all have little pet peeves. And guess what? Your pet peeves are not my pet peeves. Right? So I may be really upset about something that you care less about. And that's okay. You want to hear? Okay, you want to hear one of my pet peeves? Okay. One of my pet peeves is. When you're going to meet somebody and they can't come, and all that you get a text that just says, I can't make it. Right? With no explanation, no reason, there's no, let me tell you what's going on in my life. It's just like, I can't make it. What does that say to me? That says, I don't, you're not worth me telling you what's going on. You know, I, I want to give you, I, you're just an appointment. That tells me I'm just an appointment. Because you don't really care that, that I understand you. You just want to kind of give me the thing. I can't make it. I can make it. Whatever. That's just one thing. Right? You're probably thinking you probably have a bunch of things. So if we don't share that, maybe you don't care. If someone just says, I can't make it, you just think, oh, well, they can't make it. They must have a great reason. Uh, they, they still love me. This is really awesome. I don't really you know, we'll just, I'll talk to them at church on Sunday. We'll figure out another time. You know, so if we don't communicate that with each other, then we're, we're going to be triggering each other and we don't even know. You know, so let, let's keep growing in our relationships. And you may be out there thinking like, man, I am really good at relationships. 
this is like the most terrifying topic for me to talk, speak about <laughs> of almost anyone. Because in a lot of our times with, with people, I'm always looking around like, what am I missing? Like, is there a part of this conversation that I'm not understanding? You know, like, Danielle, what do you think here? And I'm asking other people, because I know myself, I'm not that great with emotions. Some people have a really high IQ, and that's not me. My, or EQ, EQ, EQ. So I'm dumb and I have a no EQ. Man, I am messed up. Pray for me. But I know that I don't know. I know what I don't know. And so I know enough to ask. So part of it isn't just being the best at relationships. It's just being self-aware is huge. You can make some major mistakes, and if you are aware of it, it really helps. People know, like, okay, you know where, you know that's not your thing. And yeah, you're right, it's really not your thing. But we can learn and grow, and, and that's been my prayer for 30 years. Be more in touch with my own emotions. Be more aware of other people's emotions. Know that I don't know that, so I can ask people that are better at this, so I can get help with that. And that, that's, maybe you, maybe, maybe you know what your thing is, and just keep letting other people know, hey, I'm not real good at this. Can you help me out with this? You know, people are glad to help us in relationships if we let them. Safe people. Some people, they're not real safe, and so that's a whole other story, but we won't talk about that here today. We're going to look at Jesus today as we're talking about healthy relationships and his relationship with Peter. And really today, I want to really look at Jesus primarily because Peter's all over the place, but when we're talking about healthy relationships, it should always lead us back to Christ. Looking at his relationships, looking how he spoke, how he lived his life, uh, that's going to be our cue, amen, for us. So uh, let's say a quick prayer as we continue here. Uh, Father, I pray that you uh, guide us through your word. Uh, help us to see your son more clearly. Help us to understand uh, ourselves and your love for us and the way you speak to us and the way you help us to change and grow and I pray in a, in, a, in a big way that you just send angels even around our fellowship here, that you, you heal us, that you heal our relationships, that you help us to grow, that you help us to uh, help each other, to be safe for one another, to not just ignore problems, but to speak about them in ways that help and bring and build each other up. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, point number one, Jesus, the rock of our relationships. And so we're going to start reading in Matthew chapter 16. But the idea is, if you want to have healthy relationships, Jesus needs to be the center of them. Yeah. You, can, you can use these principles in other ways, but what we're talking about is to have healthy relationships. They need to be built on Christ. And here in Matthew 16, he says, um, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. And so this confession that Peter makes, that you are the Son of God, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, that that is the foundation of his relationship with Jesus. His relationship is built on Jesus being the Lord of his life. That he is this safe place, he's the salvation. And in our relationships, that's what makes us family. It's because of our faith in Christ that, bring, that we're even together today. Without that, we're just friends. With that, we're family. With that, with him as our father, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're committed to him. We love him. And we're committed to one another, and we love one another. Without that commitment, our relationships are not what Jesus wanted them to be. You know, um, because if Jesus isn't the number one thing in my life, then the number one thing in my life is me. I don't know about you, but I don't. I don't know if you look. If you think about your family. How many of you would say, man, my family, we just have all great memories. Everything's positive. All these great things. I mean, it's like leave it to beaver. It's like just amazing. You know, maybe you think about your family and it's a lot of painful negative things. When I was thinking about it, it's probably a lot of both. There's some, there's some good things, there's some bad things, it's kind of all mixed up together. We have a lot of respect and love and pain and hurt and anger and closeness and love, hugs and mean calls, you know, whatever. But that's what family is. That's what our families are. And in so many ways, that's what we are here. There's love and respect and disagreement and annoyance and and all those kinds of things. But we think that church is going to be all perfect. Because we have Christ, we're going to be all... None of our families are that way. But how would we expect our church to be that way? It's easy to love everyone if everything's all perfect. But he says that you'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another because no one else is trying to love like Christ. Because there's a beauty there that as we're loving one another, we're sharing our faith. We're building up the kingdom. Because it's those relationships that it says that Jesus says that other people will see. We can't just say, well, we're, we're in heaven and I love you and I can't wait to really like you when we get to heaven. That's not what 
Christ wants people to see. He wants to see us living in community, loving one another, building our relationships on him. Because he's the one that calls us back when we fall off and we follow ourselves and we get emotional and we get angry, then he's the one that pulls us back. And if he's not the center of our lives, then there's no one to pull us back and then we just go our own way. We do whatever we want. We do whatever we do. We do whatever our family taught us to do. And we cut people off. And we don't return phone calls. And we don't talk to them for years. And we pretend like everything's okay, but we're really upset inside. That's, what, that's not what Christ wants us to do, but that's what we do. And he's the one that calls us back and says, no, you need to talk to that person nicely. <laughs> you don't know. No, you can't just cut them off. You need to... Let them know. You need to build their relationship and not just let it go to the side. And that's only because of Christ that we are called back to that. Because why? I wouldn't want to do that. My flesh wants to do whatever I want. But because of my love for Christ, I'm called back to do what's right in our relationships. And so it's not that I expect that we're never going to fall off, but Christ expects that we're always going to come back to him and be able to do the right thing in the right time with him. And that's the beauty of the church. He said that is why, that's why he was so excited. And he said, look at his relationships there. He's asking questions, trying to clarify expectations. That's a good thing in relationships. He's encouraging him when he understands that he gets the right, he knows who Jesus is. He says, man, that's amazing. That was revealed to you by God. There was a lot of encouragement. He gives him a new name. He gives him a new mission that he's going to be a part of the church. He's going to be called the rock. And it was interesting at the end, he even tells him, hey, you know what? This is confidential. Don't tell anyone about this. And I just thought that was so interesting because we're so open and we're so honest with, but some things are not meant to be open and honest with. Some things are confidential. And we got to keep them that way. Let other people share their stuff. And I just thought that was really interesting in a couple of these stories that Jesus says, hey, don't tell anybody about this. And it was just like, wow, that's a good reminder that there was... Uh, even some some uh, qualifications to what he was saying there. So this was a picture of, um, what is that? Hades. It's a picture of the cave to Hades. I can't remember the name of it, honestly. But that, that, that was what they, that's what he was mentioning, this cave that had this well that went down super deep. And that was kind of like, he's talking about the realm of the dead, but this was like a physical like picture of what he was talking about there. So it's pretty cool. Uh, in Jerusalem there. My second point, cruciform relationships. So first, relationships built on Jesus, built on the rock. And secondly, cruciform relationships. This is the quality of what our relationships are supposed to look like. And I found these two pictures of the cross because I think it demonstrates a, a good point, at least to me, of what cruciform relationships is. Like the first, the one on their left, these, this beautiful sunset, these three 
crosses, and you just feel like it's so peaceful, like you just want to sit out in the sun on the porch and watch the sun go down. And then there's this other one, and it's like this ugly cross, and it's up on this ugly hillside and this barren wasteland. And, you know, we want cruciform living to look like the left, but that's not what it is. Jesus was crucified outside the city. He was humiliated. He was stripped. He was beaten. And eventually he was raised, but he did that for a reason. So that we would understand the way he wanted us to live. Not in the sunset and rainbow world where everything is perfect, but he was a man of sorrows. A man living outside of the structures of the day. He wasn't accepted. He was rejected. He was an outcast. And living this way is harder. It's draining to suffer with people. You know, Thursday when Riker was going through surgery and we were suffering together, just hoping and praying and you know, it would be easier, maybe you could think about it easier just not even to know that, not even to be a part of that, that we just go about our day-to-day lives just trying to be happy. That's not being like Christ. That's not the relationships that he wants us to have. Cross-shaped relationships are emotional. That's the part that's hard for me, as I already shared. I don't like that. I don't want to do this. It's not fun. I want to have fun. Don't, don't we want, we want to have fun, right? This is not fun. It is the way to be raised. It is the way to peace. It's the way to love. It's the way to relationships, but not the kind that we think we want. This is the, the Jesus way. And let's read on in, in chapter 16. It says, from that time, <clears throat> From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it for you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a person if they gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? Or what shall a person give in return for their soul? In Peter's mind, being the Messiah... And suffering and dying didn't go together. It's like, oh, that's great. You're the Messiah, but no, you're not going to die like that. And he had good reason. When you look through the scriptures, it said the Messiah was going to bring peace. It said the Messiah was going to rule forever in the throne of David. And so you could see it made sense that he would be a physical king and there'd be peace and Jerusalem would be the head of the world forever. But that wasn't the way of the cross that Jesus was teaching. You don't have the things of God in mind, but the things of man, the things of humanity. 
And in our relationship, he wants, God wants us to think about him first, not ourselves, not what we want, not what's easy, not what is most comfortable, but denying ourselves so that we can love each other, that we can live for him, that we can focus on what's most important, what's most valuable. And I believe in that way, in Philippians 2, 5, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who didn't consider heaven something to live. He wanted to come down. He emptied himself for us. That's what (coughs) cruciform relationships is. It's loving other people above ourselves. It's living in a relationship where we feel for one another, where we're praying for one another, we're connected to one another, where other people matter. I don't just go do my own thing in my own way, and I just call you whenever I feel like it, or I, I, I pop in every once in a while. That, that's how relationships are, but those are, that's not cruciform relationships. Cruciform relationships are closer than a brother. We're there for one another. We, we're, we, and we, we do this in so many ways, and then in so many ways we don't. For big things, people are there. This is the, if you want to do something big, this is the crew. Since COVID's happened, I think we've lost a lot of this. Like, what does Jesus want me to do? Do I want to just live the way I want to live? Or am I living for Christ? Do I, is it more, most comfortable or is it most Christ-like? You know, and I'm not down on anybody, but I just had this thought. Imagine if you did your Thanksgiving meal over Zoom. How would that be? I mean, if your relatives are across the world, maybe that would be awesome, right? If they're in the military, you get to see them on Zoom, that'd be great. Why don't you want to do that, but we want to do that with each other? I don't know. That's a question. Is it convenience or is it cruciform living? Because we miss people. And I'm, I'm the biggest fan of, you know, having some Zoom midweeks and it's, it's a busy week. You're stressed out. You, you get an hour and 15 minutes on the thing. I'm, I'm all for that. But I'm not, I don't want to do that all the time. I don't want to hug you over the internet. Till Jesus comes back, if you want me to be real honest. And I still feel similarly that if you're going to work and you're going to school and you're going to the Rams game, you're not going to church, then I would just say, let's go back to point number one. Is Jesus really the Lord of our lives? That's all I'm going to say about that. Let's go on to the next point. Resurrection relationships. And I do say that from the heart. So it is with love that I say that. But I'm speaking for all of us who are here, to be quite honest with you. We miss you. So there you go. And midweeks included. Right? Midweeks included. Amen. That wasn't planned. Resurrection relationships. 
We're going to close out here, but this is probably this is one of my favorite parts of this these chapters. He said, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led him up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright light overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But when Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Lord, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He said, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. And the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And I love this view of relationships that they're built on the resurrection, that we're trying to get each other to Jesus, to see more clearly. Jesus could have gone up to the mountain by himself. He could have come down and said, man, I had the most amazing time. Moses and Elijah were there and told everybody all about it. But he wanted them to be with him. He wanted them to see it too. He wanted them to be connected on that level. That That's really our goal in relationships is to bring one another before Jesus. Help us help each other to see him. Whether we have to go up on a mountain or go down by the river or go out in the desert somewhere or go in the living room or wherever we are to help each other see Jesus. I love that picture. I don't know if this is the same mountain where he met them after he rose from the dead, but I bet it was. Remember when we were here last time? And I love that view that sometimes we feel like we want to be like Jesus and we want to help people, but we're not trying to get them to get help from Jesus. We can read the Bible that we need to be like Christ, but forget that we're not Christ. That my goal is not to help you. My goal is for you to get help from God. My goal is not for you to say, man, that was great advice. I want you to see that the Lord is helping you. Don't look at me, look at God. I'm just trying to, I'm a beggar trying to bring you along so that you can see also. And sometimes we read the Bible and we want to be like Jesus and we need to be like the other people that Jesus is helping. That he's trying to bring us up to the mountain. I want to help you to get there, but I want him to get me there too. I want us to go there together. And I pray that he does some amazing things as we point each other towards Jesus. 
Because Jesus is going to fix you. I'm not going to fix you. No one in here is going to fix you, but we can, we can point where you need to get fixed. We can pray that God will fix, that God will do his work on you. And amazingly, he does. They came down. They had questions for him. Again, they, he told them not to tell anyone. It was confidentiality. Uh, but amazing. Let's have that as our, be a picture of our relationships. That they're built on Jesus. That we model them after the death of Christ. That we die for one another. And we take each other to see Jesus. That we live in that resurrection power that he was trying to show them. And as we take our communion, think about those relationships that you were thinking about in the beginning. And pray that God will bring what he needs to bring to them. It says, as they were gathered in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. And I pray that as we think about Jesus on the cross, that we can gain endurance, that we can gain hope over evil, that we can gain power from his death and resurrection, that we can also be distressed for the pain that's around us. And we can bring that to God as well. That we can learn to trust and love and sacrifice for him as he has for us. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for this uh, next month that we're going to look at relationships as you want them to be. God, in some way, I pray that we can see you more clearly. I pray that we can confess you like Peter as the Messiah and the Son of God. If we haven't already or if we haven't lately, that we can do that in our hearts. God, I pray that we can bear our cross that we can carry uh, what you want us to carry through this life, that we can bring it to you. We can be uh, people that see the people that Jesus saw. And God, I pray that we can be people that come to you, that bring others to you. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for his death and resurrection for us. Thank you for his body and his blood. We love you. In his name we pray. Amen.